Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to um, Old Guard, New Blood, episode 13. And we're talking today about how to use uh, SEO to serve audience intent. And I've got um, a well-experienced crowd with me um, in the Old Guard front. Uh, there's myself and, and Jenny. Jenny, hi. How are you? Why don't you introduce yourself and, uh, and tell us where you're all from? Hey, thanks for having me on, Dixon. Uh, Jenny Hallis. I am based in Raleigh, North Carolina in the United States, and I've uh, been doing SEO for about 20 years, which uh, unfortunately makes me old guard, oh, but we're going to pretend that's not the name. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Lovely. And uh, well, you're getting a hi from Western Supermare in Somerset, the UK. So, uh, uh, and, uh, and in the, on the, uh, the new blood front, um, we've got people who have still been in the industry for a long time. So there's a lot of experience on the new blood side. Natalie, um, I think it's the first time we've met. So uh, who, how are you and who are you and, and what do you do? Oh, it's good. Good to be here. I, I, yeah, I'm delighted to be described as new blood, I have to say, because it's, uh, it's been going on a while. Um, I, I'm a freelance SEO consultant. I, I've gained a lot of experience agency side, but now sort of my own boss and, and going out on my own. Um, yeah, yeah, really looking forward to talking through this today. Yeah, great. Okay. And Imogen, we've met before, but uh, tell us who you are and, uh, and where you come from, as they say on the game shows. <laughs> It feels like a game show panel, really. It does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, cool. So I'm Imogen Davis. Um, I'm an SEO account director at Found. I've been in SEO for about six years now, um, based in Kent in the United Kingdom, if anyone else is in Kent. There you go. Excellent. Okay, so the topic today um, is, is, is going to be how to, serve, how to use SEO to serve audience intent. The whole event is, uh, is put on by Majestic, so uh, plug for Majestic because they're paying for all the bandwidth here and stuff. Um, if you haven't used Majestic recently, the, the new uh, link graph uh, system that they've got where you can sit there and see second, third, and fourth tier links is absolutely phenomenal uh so you can sit there and not not you just you don't just see the links to a website anymore you see the links that are three or four steps away um and uh, you can drill down you can start seeing you know um private pbns you can start seeing how an article from the bbc is influencing something three or four links away and it completely changed the game on how you look at links so that's the advert for majestic we're not going to talk about majestic particularly through the day uh but uh but um we are going to talk about um uh, how we can use seo to serve audience intent and it's something that uh, you know, Google seems to seems to imply that we should be doing all the time. You know, all think about the user, think about the user. So, I wanted to start with uh, a question for each of you, or a tip for each of you, for anybody in case they haven't got time to be here, or, uh, or they want to get one tip and we want to get it in early. Um, what's one tip that uh, you might give to everybody to say um, how you can use SEO to, to better serve audience intent? So, I'm going to start Imogen with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, I jump in, you know. <laughs> Fine. So I guess I guess my tip is basically just make sure you understand what the users are doing. Um, so really understand sort of what they need, what the purpose of their search is, and really sort of get to grips with that side of things. And then you can write the content to make sure that you're meeting those needs and those requirements. Okay. Natalie, got a tip? I would say that there's no substitute for getting your hands dirty with the keyword research. There's a lot of... Um, talk at the moment about speeding up the process, uh, using tools that automatically cluster the keywords, which is fair enough, really good for 
making our jobs a bit easier. But in terms of understanding the audience, there really is no substitute for get, you know getting under the hood and, and figuring out what people mean when they're searching. That would be my tip. Okay. Jenny, I'm going to throw one in. Those are both fantastic tips. I would say for right now, right this minute, focus on Google's user metrics, the ones that they're going to start adding to the ranking algorithm starting in May. You have just a little bit more time left to make sure that your site is up to snuff and you better go do it. Okay. And I'll, I'll add mine on there um, and say, you know, liberally use internal linking to connect your, your ideas uh, together. So if you've, if you've got a page on blue widgets and you're talking about blue widgets on another page, don't be afraid to link to the blue widget page when you're talking about blue widgets in the text. So, you know, having those internal links uh, helps SEO and it helps a user if they're trying to get to, uh, to, to places that, uh, you know, particularly to those, those ideas that they may not understand. Um, so liberally use internal links is going to be my tip for people here's the thing though uh imogen i'll bring you back on the the, the thing you said there if you've got to really understand what the user is is doing but what what is user intent or what is audience intent because surely people can be thinking at different things when they're looking at that content one person can be thinking about buying buying something someone else might be thinking about understanding more about something somebody else might be thinking about doing a review you know people may have a different intent looking at the same content so i guess it's it's bringing bringing back this 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 idea of of audience and user intent what is it and why why do we think it's always going to be the same thing well i don't i don't think we ever think it's always going to be the same thing to be honest i think whenever we look at intent from a keyword perspective we always look at it sort of multifaceted i would say so we never just say that one keyword is specifically an informational keyword it's mm. just commercial it's just research there are stronger elements of research and information tied to some keywords so if you're looking for best or top or things like that you know there's research you know it's informational Yep. But there's still going to be that underlying need to figure out at the end that actually you are probably going to purchase something still. So there is still that underlying commercial intent as well as the informational side of things. So I think really what you need to be looking at is what's currently showing, but also showing in different locations, the different types of searches, the different phrases at the same time, and then use that as more of a gauge than just saying this is an informational keyword. Okay. Anyone else want to jump in there? Well, I just want to add that I think that um, there's something that that Matt Cutts said <laughs> like a decade ago. So this, this is this is this is the old guard coming out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That um, that has always stuck with me, and that is meeting the intention of the query. So when you look at the query, when you look at a query like top or best. Mm -hmm. Is the intention of that query your client's site or is it a site that reviews lots of different sites? And so I think I'm always trying to get clients to understand that the intention of the query is what really matters. And you can create a page on your site all day long that says that you're the top whatever widget provider, but yeah. Google isn't gonna rank that because it doesn't meet the intention of the query. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a good point. And you can use things like, yeah, so, so yeah. It, 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 yeah, if, if, if they're typing in, when do I eat ice cream, not what ice cream to buy, then, you know, you've got, that's a completely different answer. The when and the why uh, are different answers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so, uh, so user intent then, you know, can be framed around the, the, the user query. I, I like that idea. Um, 
and you, you mentioned you know, Matt, Matt Cuss is saying, answer, used to say, uh, answer the user query. But are there any other ways that Google has communicated that the audience intent or user intent is, is important? Um, you know, and, and are they, are they um, you know, how does that really work? How does Google, you know, get you to, 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 um, to work towards um, working around user intent? And I, and I, I say that with uh, seeing a, a, something on LinkedIn, I think, by uh, Lee from Get Visible this morning, uh, who, um, sorry, Lauren Baker, but I'm going to, you know, say, uh, who, who said, I wonder how Search Engine Journal um, and their traffic is their organic traffic is going up really very nicely, and they're doing very very well. Their SEO is definitely uh, definitely going well. So he's sitting there and seeing all the pop ups that come up on Search Engine Journal, which you know probably all of us look at, and uh, uh, and and saying, you know, how is it that you know uh, UX or, or user, the, the user journey is, is being helped, or you know, with with you know, is Google really paying lip service to user intent, or are they actually uh, actually checking up on it? Was that really a question um, or was it a, an opinion? <laughs> it, it was framed like a question, but it certainly sounded like That's an opinion. Like an opinion. Yeah, no. I, no, no, no. I'm, you know, I, I love Lawrence a bit, so he's going to come and shout at me, no doubt, in uh, in a while. But um, anyway, uh, but but I think there's, there is this issue. You still find websites that I think are, are, not, um, are not really looking you know, like they're properly answering the question. They look like they've still got there with a little bit of SEO tweaking um, around the edges. So, so I guess my actual question started with, how serious is Google about this user intent journey? And how do they prove it? I think that it's a balance. So a site like the one you mentioned is definitely an indication that maybe that whole, you know, intrusive ads thing is is not really such a problem for Google. But you have to look at the other values that are that are going into that, the other signals, the inter you know, the inbound links, the uh, user engagement, the buzzworthy type of metrics, um, all of those things I think combined together. Yep. Um, and so I do believe that there are times when you can have a site that, not speaking of that one that you mentioned, but just any site. That oh, there's where, like in the news industry, where, is there all of them? You know, there's the, the, from the New York Times as well. I mean, all of them yeah. basically. There's lots yeah. and lots of them with pop with pop-ups and stuff. So yeah, with pop-ups or where the idea. user experience <laughs> is just horrifically bad or terrible on mobile, or you know, there 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 are always things that that contribute that can be outweighed, I think, by authority and expertise in a, in a niche, so. Okay. 100%, it's the, these kinds of sites, they do well it, in spite of those kind of UX niggles on the strength of the brand and the quality of the content. It's, it's been like this forever, it's still the case, but it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they still do after May. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, I think that is going to be uh, an interesting thing. So how do, you, how do you think things are going to change in May, Jenny? Well, um, Google has said that that's when they're rolling out um, their their key user metrics. I forget what they're called. Does anybody remember yeah. what they're called? The Core Web Vitals. Core Web Vitals. Core web vitals. Thank you, Imogen. <laughs> yeah, the Core Web Vitals. Um, so I do think that we're going to see some significant shakeup when that happens, um, because I do think that there are some sites that are performing well, 
in spite of themselves. <laughs> so as so, Natalie so said. in that, you know, because because um, Bing, of course, have just launched their own um, UX uh, analytics system, which uh, I don't know if any of you got a chance to try, but it's it's really it's really cool. It shows you, it is so you, know, cool. click, you know, how people are clicking around your site, you know, where people are, uh, you know, are, are falling short of, uh, of your, your your intended sales sequence and things like that. So, you know, when it comes to measuring audience intent, I think that tool is well worth going. And I suspect that Google kind of said, oh, God, Google, you know, Bing, have, Bing have kind of got us a, got, got a bit of a, a headway here. We're going to have to at least say we're going to be doing something that's going to be different. And I'm, I'm sure when it comes out, it'll be, it'll be awesome. But I, I suspect it's as much trying to keep up with the Bings as it is anything else, you know. Well, uh, GA4 is pretty impressive in that area. Yeah. Um, but the Bing, the what is that? What is they call Microsoft Experience or something like it's, that? It's not, and I, um, I feel clarity. Uh, clarity. Yeah, that's it's clarity. It. It's called yeah, Microsoft so, Clarity. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's so cool because you can watch actual recordings of people like clicking on your yeah. site and. Yeah. So, so if anyone hasn't tried I'm not sure it yet, how it's actionable it all is, but we'll see. Well, I, I think I think that you'll find a few things that you can that, that are going glaringly wrong. You know, if something's going glaringly wrong on your site, you'll probably pick it up with this that system. But once you've got it right, you know, hopefully your user journey is vastly improved. You know, um, let's hope anyway. So. Okay, I got so. a really big kick out of one of my clients had um, Rage Click. They talk oh, about yeah, yeah, yeah. a whole Absolutely. bunch of times yeah. in, a, in a spot. Yeah. You, they call you, it yeah. rage clicking. Yeah, there's, mm -hmm. there's no I, button. There's no button there. It's just a round, so you're a blue circle. And you think it's a button. But then when you look at the video, it's just somebody like who scrolls and clicks and clicks. And clicks. Oh, really? <laughs> it's okay. not. Okay, okay. So maybe maybe this is weird user here. behavior. <laughs> okay, so, um, so. Uh, right. Let's get let's get down to to brass tacks of SEO and things that an SEO could do to help user intent. Um, you know, when it, when a user, um, you know, when when you when, as an SEO, the things that you can change on, on a website, you know, uh, I, I guess user intent is really going to be you know the domain of the UX person. And there's a sort of well, let's let's assume that we're in a luxury position of having a, an SEO person, a technical SEO person, a content writer, and a UX person in the system. You know, how can we how can we um, uh, have a conversation with that UX person and and not clash? What do you think the UX person needs to hear from an SEO? Well, I could talk about this all day, but <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Because um, I'm coming up against some of these kind of things in in my day to day. Um, I think in terms of clashing, I think the, the biggest cause of a clash is when a, a UX designer or, or an SEO doesn't necessarily play the tape forward on the recommendations. They just, they just think best practice, they uh, sort the speed out or uh, make, make use of actual keywords on the page or you know one of the things that would come from either side, but don't take into account the other channel's point of view and don't you know, figure out how it would affect. So I, I just say the onus is on both UX and SEO to up, you know, increase their understanding of, of, of both sides because really any positive user experience change should be good for SEO and any positive SEO change should be good for user experience. It's just uh, it's sort of it's when the, the idea and the execution is unfinished that you end up with those kinds of clashes. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not always the case. So, I mean, uh, you might, 
you could argue from a UX point of view quite happily, I would imagine that if I hover over a link and it pops up with a little picture of the site that I'm about to go to, that would be a great thing. And uh, But that might be then using all sorts of JavaScript and, and caching a, a page that then can't get crawled or uh, maybe using all sorts of weird stuff that blocks Google from, from, from following that link possibly. So I can certainly see times where UX and SEO do clash. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wonder how, uh, how, how often the UX person, um, you know, is, is really thinking about neat little ideas. Micro, micro messaging is another one where you're kind of popping around a website and it comes up with little ideas that help the user no end, um, but not necessarily things that can get picked up with um, by SEO. So, you know, uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, so, but, but so you say they always come together. Go on. I feel like there's always a workaround for that, though, right? Exactly. Right. Like, they want to do, a, let's just say, a tooltip, you know, that pops yeah. up. It's like, right. Right. okay, use the, use the title attribute instead right. of JavaScript to achieve that. Like, you know, that's... That, yeah, and that answers the point really nicely. Yeah. So, so okay, the UX guy has, or girl has seen what they want to do, and then we got to, as SEOs, we got to check you know, the, either the implementation they've come up with or suggest a different implementation that doesn't, doesn't wreck the idea, but still, you know, uh, keeps the, uh, keeps the flow of information around the site um, working pretty well. You know, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Because you would, if you make that sort of short, short sighted UX change, cause it might be beneficial on the site. It's not necessarily beneficial for the user. If you suddenly hide your content from the search engines, you know, you're no longer serving. So it is all about, making sure the whole idea is developed and playing the tape forward and identifying potential pitfalls in, in whichever approach. And the same goes for SEOs making recommendations saying you need this content block here. That, you know, you drive UX people nuts because it's like you haven't considered the design. You, the SEO does need to consider the design. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I do see a lot on, on, uh, on the, the SEO boards where, we as SEOs get really angry at you know any other any other section of internet marketing. Choose one here, and we kind of go off on one. Um, uh, and and I think quite oftentimes we're not sitting in the other person's shoes. And probably if that's the case, we're also not sitting in the CEO's or the CMO's shoes. And we perhaps should do that a little more um, as individuals. You know. So yeah, uh, okay. It's, it's, it, I mean, if there's burning burning issues, you think I should be coming out to? Please jump in and uh, and uh, and do that. But I wanted to uh, to come in and say uh, and ask, you know, how might Google measure whether an audience's intentions are met? Um, how do they how do they go about that? Because if we can understand that, we can also understand, you know, how our SEO efforts can help. Is there, is there any key clues apart from the uh, the UX stuff that's coming out in May? I think a lot of that comes down to just engagement on the page and engagement on the website. So there's a lot of people that have spoken about things like dwell time, things like bounce rate, return to SERP rate, things like that. Those are all sort of signals of quality. And I think Google, like, yes, they don't come out and say that they use them in the algorithms and they're used to rank pages and all that sort of things, but they are indicators of quality. So if Google is seeing that people are going to the page, they're spending time on the page, they're consuming the content, then that is going to be an indication that the intent has been met. So I think it's it's looking at those kind of metrics as well mm -hmm. as the hard metrics of this is your traffic, these are your rankings, yeah. this is where visibility is. 
it's it's looking at those soft and engagement metrics as well. So engaging content becomes a huge part for SEOs then, making sure that it's decent engaging content is 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 pretty good. Or really hard to read, so you can't possibly get through and it takes 20 minutes. <laughs> so uh, on the flip side of that, um, there are certain things that just need a quick answer. And, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're looking for a phone number to a website, you know, and you mm. click through their contact us page, and then you come back to SERP because you just are somebody who's fond of hitting the back button and then you make your phone call. Um, it's, it's a whole different experience. And, and what I think that SEOs always have to keep in mind is that when we talk about these metrics like dwell time or, or bounce back or whatever you want to call it, right? It has to be something that's scalable for the search engine because ultimately the search engine is still ones and zeros in a computer system. Yeah. And so it can't be something like Google Analytics data that's only available for 40% of the population of websites. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of things there to consider. Um, but I do think that Google signals all the time that they really care about user experience. And it makes sense because they need people to have a good experience on the Google website so that they can sell more ads, mm. um, <laughs> which ultimately is what keeps their stockholders happy. So, yeah. For sure, for sure. And I think sort of circling back to the the some queries just need a, a short answer and they just need a snippet and things like that. I think that's where different SERP features really come into play as well. So if you can see what kind of features are appearing in the search results, then you can start, kind of get an idea of what you need to be serving and how much you should be anticipating from an engagement level. Because um, like you say, if you can answer it within 30 words, then do it within 30 words. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of my favorite examples was that uh, I think it was SMX where uh, Gary Esh said, uh, if I just need to know how to boil an egg, do not give me 2000 words on how to boil an egg. <laughs> that does not meet the intention of the query. I'd be interested to see what the average number of words is in the, uh, the, the results that come back for the phrase how to boil an egg. I suspect it's more than 30 words. Um, I would expect so, that. So, which, which I think is, is in itself an interesting question thing because uh, taking that example, you know, I, you would imagine that Google will bring back a, 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 a rich snippet with a recipe on it, a recipe rich snippet in, in that instance of how to boil an egg. Um, and no doubt someone out there is trying it as we speak. Um, but that in itself is a, is a challenge because if that recipe is sitting there of how to boil an egg, um, and it's in front of the user. The user never goes to the customer website. So, um, so how can SEOs get around that? For example, you know, you've got you've 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 made all that work to create the rich snippet, and then no one comes to your website in the first place. So you can't monetize that uh, that work. Um, you know, is that good SEO or bad SEO? I I would still say that's good to be honest because you're still getting your brand into the search results you're still getting the website in the results so even if people aren't clicking on it it's still giving google the sort of signals that you are an authority in the space you've got the information you know what you're talking about and that all kind of ties into a broader this site is a relevant thing for this topic mm. um so i think even if people aren't clicking through to stuff if you can capture those features a you're not letting competitors take them from you so that's always bonus um, but B, you are just building up that sort of entity relationship around the whole topic as well. And there's some things that you can do to kind of game that system too. 
right? Well, let's, uh, so let's hear them, Jenny. <laughs> well, for example, if uh, it's steps to wrap a present. Um, always have enough steps for somebody. Always to have, have to enough through. steps that they have to click through to get the last step, right? That's, 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 that's the important one, isn't it? I think, you know, because <laughs> then they can't finish the problem without coming to your website. And that's good SEO, I think, is, uh, is, is yeah, helping Google do, do you know, 90% of the job and making sure that you know, the customer ends up, you know, having to, uh, to you know, have a little bit more than just see the brand on the page is, is good. So, um, did you want to add anything there, Natalie? Well, I was just thinking about what you said about is it good SEO if, uh, if, if like how to boil an egg. I was thinking if you were howtoboilanegg.com, it wouldn't be great. If that was your whole, how all the money you've made in the world had happened and then feature snippets happened and suddenly, like what happened with all the clock websites when those, those results were introduced. But yeah. usually you wouldn't be howtoboilanegg.com. You would have much more content about eggs. You know, it would be a gateway. It would, it shouldn't... De- that sort of thing shouldn't damage a brand in general because they should usually have different streams and different mm. traffic sources. Mm. So I, I, the that, whole point is after somebody clicks through on how to boil an egg, you have to give them some kind of value beyond that. Yeah. So that next time they need to know how to boil water, they know which website to go to. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think as well, the, you know, the, there is a little bit of an onus here on the on the the owner of the business to have a business that's that's viable in the long term, and it it is, it is true that I mean Google has ransacked so many market sectors, you know, or disrupted, should we say, uh, so many market sectors from you know paid analytics to free analytics to you know uh advertising to to you know otas yeah so so, you know pbc the the whole pbc model um changed the game as well based on performance so everything that they're they're doing brings out you know or youtube suddenly creating a free free video streaming service you know suddenly massively changes the game but it doesn't you know it doesn't stop the likes of netflix coming out with a business model which you know appears to be working i don't know if they've ever made any money but uh they've you know we all love netflix in fact if they haven't made money in the lockdown i don't know how netflix is ever going to survive so you know uh, so 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 you can have free conferencing on on google hangouts for example but it hasn't stopped zoom from doing a really good job of 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 uh, webinars we're on zoom now and, uh, and and as well as facebook live and stuff like that so it hasn't stopped other businesses but lesser businesses or businesses that aren't confident in their own world i think will get knocked off by by these these developments by google because their their, their content is too thin and the meat of their, their their business is really hard for an seo then to um to sustainably um keep keep things going so i think i think an seo's job is to help the brand build up isn't it well i, I a, a good 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 reason for an seo to be there is to say okay you may not start with um you know typing in adidas but you might start in say best running shoe or whatever but hopefully eventually you know adidas or nike or or whatever other brand is going to get the uh, the love um um within there and ultimately you're going to end up typing in nike or adidas instead of best shoe um, is the is the plan for the game for the people but uh, okay um where do where do quality rater guidelines come into play in all of this so surely there's a there's a uh, user intent and uh the quality rater guidelines overlap in some way shape or form do you think 
So what I'm saying there is, um, <laughs> are the quality rater guidelines, you know, the, the, you know, all those, all those people running around checking on our results and stuff and seeing whether they're working. Well, not checking on our results, checking on Google's algorithms. Um, you know, surely that is a, a, a good methodology for Google to see whether um, user intent is being met. Uh, and I would say that that's probably one of the highlights of, of why they've got the system in the first place. Are there algorithms satisfying user intent is probably, um, you know, one of the major things in, in, the, in the rate of guidelines that, 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 that they're trying to check. So, um, you know, I guess one of my point is, is reading the quality rate of guidelines, you know, it's 113 pages, you know, uh, do, do you think it's, do you think it's worthwhile for SEOs? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think it's however, going to help user intent? Okay. All right. However, so. yeah, go ahead, Natalie. <laughs> well, um, I was just think it, it's all really good in theory. You have an algorithm that's supposed to be learning every, every day. And then you have a group of humans, a large group of humans, quality assuring that, and that, that should work then how come we still have all of these SERPs that still don't actually, you know, they're not right. And this isn't, this isn't me being, you know, annoyed about my clients not ranking well. It's, you know, which some people might argue it's our great, but it's not. Like you've got still so much spam in the SERP. It's not quite working yet. It's all very good in theory, but I, um, yeah, that, that's, my, <laughs> that's my query over it, really. So do you think, uh, do you think that the SERPs have got, it got better or worse over the last five years? I'm, I'm going to say that it depends. It depends on the vertical. Um, right, you're fine as well. Got, <laughs> <laughs> it is dependent on the vertical. You know, like, yeah. um, certain, like insurance now is pretty reliable and sensible and those are the right people, you know, car insurance, those are the right sites ranking, aren't they? But, you know, there's, I'm working in the education sector at the moment sometimes it's right and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for certain things outranking others and, and that's why i still think there's it's a great i think it's a very sensible model but i think it's still got some way to go imogen jenny anything on there all right so i'm going to date myself again here uh -huh. um a movie i've seen a million times is the matrix and if anybody has not seen the matrix there's the scene um i'll try to sum it up really uh simply here basically the matrix is a digital virtual reality world and the main character is in this world knowing that he's in it for the first time and the the other character says, um, you have what we call residual self-image. So he, he looks like he did in, when he lived in the world or when he thought he lived in the world. He says, it is the mental projection of your digital self. And so to me, the quality writers guidelines are the mental projection of the digital self. So Google's goal in where they want to be is given in a, is mentally projected in the quality raters guidelines. Doesn't mean they're there. Doesn't mean they use all of those signals necessarily in the algorithm, just that that's where they want to be. And so I think that's really important when you're looking at the quality raters guidelines that you keep in mind that like, just because and here's an example that Google has directly debunked just because they say to their quality raters, check out this business's reputation on the Better Business Bureau. 
doesn't mean that they use the Better Business Bureau in ranking. Mm -hmm. They don't. They've come out specifically and said that they don't. So I, I think... Grain of salt. Wow, that's brilliant bit of philosophy there. I love philosophy of these kind of things. Uh, it's, I love it when it goes down down there. And, and I think the, the the whole matrix thing is uh, is really blowing my mind at the moment because I think as we as we're getting ourselves into um, echo chambers, we're starting to realise that um, yeah, we actually do live in these kind of dream realities. And I'm reading Sapiens. I'm going away from SEO altogether for a second here. And I'm reading <laughs> Sapiens again for the second time now. And and you kind of just start on chapter one, and it's, you know. Everything in human it, that humans do is pretty much a myth. You know, money. There's no such thing as money. Company. There's no such thing as a company. It's just it's just something that we've all agreed exists. You know, it doesn't exist. It's you know, it's not like a tree. You can't hit it and stuff like that. Which pit of the you know, so so all of these stories suddenly you know, as soon as you all agree on them, but the problem is that we're now going to this whole one one you know one form of truth. You know. Google's form of truth, or the knowledge graph's form of truth, or the uh, or the internet's form of truth, and of course, cultures are clashing. We don't have one form of truth. We can't agree, and so we are somewhere off. Um, uh, Google being able to give the best answer, the only answer, every single time, because there is not always one answer coming back, and 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 life is more shades of grey than a machine is ever going to want to have i think and uh and that that's where they could get get things wrong as well um and uh and i think those those philosophies are going to be harder for for you know seos to get nuance into into things because google's trying to get things into black and white form for the machines am i talking rubbish now i'm sorry i'll move no, no, i love it I'm like, <laughs> like, I, I need to keep my mouth shut here because i'm going to totally derail the webinar but we should grab a beer together and talk oh, about this. yeah we another one if we can get back to if we can get back to texas and uh, and, and have another beer in in, in dallas that'd be great jenny that they'll ever fun. let us on an airplane again i don't think they're going to let us out of the uk for some time actually to be honest with you and i don't think they're going to let us into america for some time so uh, i'm my next thing is big books for mexico in september i think so okay right we're sort of nearing nearing the end of the time I, david i don't know if there's any any questions that are that are, that are on there but um there's a couple of questions that have come in do you want to throw nina peen was saying user intent um that some of my clients have um are, are terrified that actually competitors stalking their website and stealing their ideas am i seo on page setup should, should that be a concern no, no. <laughs> okay so, that's a quick one i think Church, if, if, the... if people are stealing your content then you're doing it right so i wouldn't be too concerned about that at all <laughs> and I next agree. up lauren burton lauren burton saying what about the may update for um other ranking factors like page speed uh, is this may, may update going to affect page speed and um what kind of things should be implemented just now to try and deal with that if so i'm Absolutely. gonna head back to jenny then <laughs> So that's the core web vitals we were talking yeah. about. And um, page speed is already a factor in ranking. So you, you definitely need to nail that. But um, the core web vitals are going to be things like cumulative layout shift. Um, and that one just really quickly is like when the page is loading, if it moves things around on the page, somebody might accidentally click on something that they didn't mean to click on. And so Google doesn't want that happening. Um, but there's a whole group of those things and they all have confusing acronyms like TLS, but, but, um, <laughs> but you want them to, um, 
you want to address each of those things. So do a, do a lighthouse report, check out your Google Core Web Vitals in um, Search Console um, to identify any pages that are having issues with that now so that you can take care of them before May. If you want to use a lighthouse, is, is a, a tool in uh, Chrome. If you use the inspect tool in Chrome, you'll find it. So, no. The other uh, thing to uh, add is that uh, Google are trying to make it a little bit easier for webmasters by there is a, if people haven't seen, it, there is a report in Search Console. Uh, it's kind of sort of top line and will tell you if you've got uh, pages that are poor in terms of uh, core web vitals, medium or, or good. And um, that's a place to start, really. Um, but they're trying, it's kind of to, because all the stuff in Lighthouse, there's, there's an awful lot to consider. Core Web Vitals distills it down to three metrics. And, you know, it should, should in theory, make, make it easier for us to make the web better. But we'll see. <laughs> Another quick question from Rodrigo Palmer. A very specific question here saying, um, what do you think about the GPT-3 open AI algorithm that is being used now to write human-like copywriting with a focus on ranking SEO? Does anyone, yeah. is anyone aware of that? Having yeah, yeah, it scares the crap out of me. Um, so, uh, I think it's it, awesome. <laughs> it, it is amazing. But so there's a really good article. If, for anybody that wants to, to, to track this down, the best place to go, there's, uh, The Guardian has an article that was written entirely by a machine and they just put in a keyword basically and uh, this uh, new algorithm gpt2 has, has been open source for for a lot of people for a while but gpt3 is, is is now um only open to certain people but basically it can write the whole a ho whole article but you read the article and it kind of makes sense but it doesn't really help answer the user's intent go it doesn't it doesn't necessarily uh um help help the user intent so i think google is going to have a little battle trying to figure out and they're going to have to uh put some effort into not assuming that the seos are going to be answering the user intent because they're going to be using this these algorithms to create loads of content that that look like they're answering a question but actually, I've got no depth to them at all because, you know, you, the more you read it, the more there's blatant lies on there that are, you know, completely uh, incoherent. So, you know, I don't know if you've, you've, you've played with it, Ingenio or Natalie, but, um, yeah, it's a good question because I think yeah. we, uh, we're going to find the black hats using that more and more pretty yeah. damn quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would say so. But I think that that also just comes back to the need to really understand what the users are wanting. And I don't think we're ever going to get to a stage where sort of AI or things like that are, are going to really take out the actual human part of writing content. You know, it's, it's that emotional connection. It's the actual purpose of writing the content. It's making it flow properly. So use it as a starter, but I wouldn't, get rid of your content team. So that's a really interesting point. And I think that that's a, that, that ties into kind of a prediction I made uh, late last year, which is that I think we're going to see a shift from content writing to content editing. Um, because there, there are tons of companies already that are using machine generated content. Home Depot, for example, almost all of their product content, machine generated. Um, so what they're doing is they have the machine generate the content based on attributes of the product that are input by an individual. Um, and then they take the content that the machine generates and they edit it for tone and style. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of that 
um, as GPT three comes to the masses and improves. Mm -hmm. I, I, th I think I think you're true. I think um, I, I think we should not assume that the machines aren't going to beat us at our own game uh, they they're getting pretty good <laughs> and, and i, think I don't know if they're going to beat us but they're certainly gonna i think th i think where we still have the chance is innov innovation we're still ahead you know i think that i think you know machines are not so good at innovating new ideas thinking up new ideas hopefully we'll still as a species have some some cards to play, but anyway, we're getting back to philosophy. I see it's another a final question related there. question actually. Yeah. Oh, uh, you're going there, uh, Dixon. Yeah, there's a, a final related question. That's uh, if we're writing for an audience that's not around me, how, yeah. how to approach it? I.e., uh, kind of writing in India for an American audience is the example. That's kind of related to what um, we've been discussing about there. So yeah, so so uh, so so. Uh, thanks very much to the person that's asked it. I mean, uh, I think if you're Here's my tip. If you're in India writing for a U.S. audience or in the U.S. writing for a, an Indian audience or, or um, around the world, I would get yourself a VPN system. So basically, I do have on my computer the ability to suddenly be on an IP address in Canada or be on an IP address in Sweden or, or be on an IP address in, uh, in, in New Zealand or wherever it can be, because then I can go to Google and I can see... The, the, the search engine results and the conversation through the eyes of a person in that country. Uh, Google does do quite a lot to try and get you to, uh, to focus back on your own country. So there's quite a lot of other tracking that's going on. So maybe use a different browser for each country as well. But, um, but that's my tip. If you're, if you're starting out in a different country to the one that you're writing for, firstly, learn, learn what the people are actually reading in the country you're actually in before you start writing and assuming that, you know, uh, that, 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 pants means um you know trousers because it doesn't you know in america it means trousers in the uk it means something completely different <laughs> yeah i i think that's that's a really good tip i think the only thing i'd add to that is really understanding how people in different territories and different countries like to be spoken to what kind of information they like to receive um it goes back to well, i'm going back to my psychology degree now um, but I always use a thing called Hofstetter Insights, and that essentially looks at different cultural dimensions, different understandings between um, like different audiences, different geographies, different locations. And you can plot in a couple of countries. So you can do UK versus Germany or India versus US. How, how do you spell Hofstetter? That really, sounds really interesting. Uh, yeah. Oh God! Is there a chat function? Can you you, you go look it up, chat? and then I'll. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm like, I want to know what that site is too. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it and put a link in the chat. But um, okay, cool. it essentially gives a breakdown of how different people um, like to have information given to them, basically, and what oh. kind of cultural differences there are. So if you can understand that, and you can use the VPN to understand what's ranking, that's really going to give you the best shot. Good tip. Excellent. And so just to add to that really quickly, I know we're up on time. Think about cultural differences, not only from one country to another, but within the country as well. I know here in the US, we have a really big problem with inclusion and diversity. And if you have a content team that is all white men writing, then you really need some diversity in that team to make sure that you're addressing other areas, other people mm -hmm. that uh, are gonna be consuming your content. Yeah. Anything wanna jump in there, Natalie? I was again. I sort of always go back to keyword research. I find I'm in the middle of doing uh, content production for an Indian audience based in the UK and in education. And there's these kinds of questions that are asked. 
are markedly different. They're all in the English language, but they're, there's different people do search very differently for what, what they're looking for in the next stage of the, their education journey in India versus the USA or in the UK. And I yeah would always start with the keyword, keyword research, yeah. really. So, uh, Imogen, so, so I'll just uh, spell it out for anybody that, that's not on the not on the live chat. H O F S T E D E insights. Uh, there's a hyphen in there as well, but H O F S T E D E, uh, and uh, I'll be having a look at that and, and comparing e con- uh, comparing countries. Um, is sounds like a really really cool thing. The only thing I'd, I would add is um, we should try and work out whether to use the person's first name or surname when you start emailing them because uh, it changes around the world. And the number of times I get hi Jones. Um, coming in my emails um, and that doesn't work for me but then I'm probably doing the same thing to my customers the other way as well so probably something we should get right in our uh, in our CRM systems you know uh, okay so we're pretty much up on time um, why don't we just you know before before you go could you guys tell people how they can get in contact with you if they want to find out more about you guys and make sure you plug your companies and things as well just before we go Imogen yeah, absolutely. Um, so my Twitter handle is pretty ridiculous, to be honest, but it's underscore Imogen Davis and then underscore at the end. Um, you can get me on LinkedIn as well. I work at Found. We're actually running a webinar um, next week with our partner, Box UK, on Core Web Vitals as well. So if you want to find out more about that, then jump on, let me know. Um, otherwise, I'll be on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hopefully, Brian Childers saw that because that's a question I didn't get through to, you uh, know. And you can go on that one. Natalie? I'm yeah, pretty much Twitter, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter handle is njmott. Uh, LinkedIn is just my name. And don't look for my website because it's not really ready. But you'll find me on Google as well. Just don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny? I'm at Jenny Hallis on Twitter. Uh, that's the way it's spelled. I abhor and avoid LinkedIn at all costs. Um, you can also find me on my website at jlh-marketing.com. And uh, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. I'm on there all the time and love to chat about anything from food okay. to SEO. <laughs> Fantastic. So, and uh, and thanks again to Majestic. Uh, what's the Majestic? What have we got next month, David? Have we uh, have we figured out our title for next we, month? We have indeed. Um, Jenny mentioned at the beginning of this show that uh, Majestic's second and third level link information was phenomenal, and next month on the third of March, uh, we're going to be asking the question: How useful are second and second and third tier links to your SEO success? Uh, so that's third uh, of March at five PM GMT. Joining us for that one, we're going to have Max uh, Brockbank. We're going to have Scarlett Anderson and Amel Menawi. So that's next month uh, on the third. That's, that's great. a great panel. That's exciting. So guys, thank you. Just leaves me uh, when, when I press the leave button. I think it all cuts off, so we kind of I can't sort of speak to you after the end of the the, uh, the session. But <laughs> no thank, you, ev- ev- thank you ever so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time, um, and uh, I, I hopefully see you see you in cyberspace, and hopefully see you in real life. You know, sometime in 2021. Let's hope. Everyone, be well. Nice to meet you all. Yeah.